Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Coach Growth Podcast. I am your host, Coach Andrew McGacky. My guest on today's episode is Marissa Chu. Coach Chu is an assistant track coach at IUPUI, as well as the founder of Coaches Collab, a Facebook group for track coaches to meet and collaborate together. Today's episode, we talk a lot about collaboration, her journey as a coach, what it's like to be a female coach in a male-driven field. So I hope you get something out of it. Please enjoy. All right. I am joined by the lovely Marissa Chu, hello, a hello. coach at IUPUI, the longest college name I think I know, Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. Right. Everybody's like, is there a, is there a shorting of it? I was like, no. And there's, I mean, we have um, the not cute pet names by our rivals in Indianapolis. So we're not supposed to say them, but I'm like, it'd be so much easier. <laughs> like I had to learn how to say IUPUI. Like I literally practiced it for like two weeks. That's a mouthful. I, um, I live in Macomb, which is where Western Illinois is. Were you at, were you there when they were at the summit? Cause they used to be in the summit with Western for track. No, I was not there. I came to IUPUI the first year out of the summit. Okay. All right. Well, um, the whole point of this podcast is to kind of talk about, talk to coaches and their growth and their journeys. So let's go back to the beginning. Uh, you were a collegiate athlete before you got into coaching? Right? I was. I, I like to call myself a collegiate participant. I don't know if that's a long stretch for athlete, but definitely a participant. I was on a roster. <laughs> um, so how did you get, you know, you graduate college. What led to you getting into coaching? How did that happen? So um, my undergrad studies was for kinesiology and physical education. Um, my emphasis was on secondary school education with my mindset in parentheses being I want to coach as well. Um, so kind of going through my undergrad, it was always understood like usually PE teachers do coach. So if that isn't something you're interested, you need to make sure you announce that. Um, I was like, that's open season for me. So um, in my undergrad, you know, we had to take our technique classes. So I was taking volleyball, tennis, badminton, swimming, all those things. Um, I do have a background in gymnastics. So we went into the gymnastics class and the teacher professor was actually the high school coach, a local high school coach that coached gymnastics. And he was like, Hey, Marissa, I need help. Come help me. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm the farthest removed from gymnastics. I haven't done that since I was like 13 years old. Um, I said, it doesn't matter. You know, this is going to be a great thing for you. You should come in. And so I actually started with high school gymnastics prior to track and field. Um, did that for a couple years and then actually got just really into restaurant business. Um, I had been a server all through college, uh, turned bartender, and then got propositioned by the steakhouse I was working at and said, do you want to become a restaurant manager? And I was like, oh, you know, and then the, the, the wanting to be a professional kicked in. Like, I, I want to get dressed and, you know, wear high heels and put on a suit. And so I did that for a while. So I actually stepped away from coaching for a long time. Um, and then years later, uh, my best friend from college was like, I need help with our track team, the local high, uh, high school track team that she was at. Um, come out a couple of days a week help me get through this, help me teach some stuff and, and we'll just go year by year. And so, you know, personal life happened, uh, 
I was actually pregnant when she propositioned me. So I was like, let me pop this kid out and then I'll come. I was like, I am way too big right now to be waddling around a track, uh, knowing how I would be. Um, so that, yeah, that's how I got back into it. My best friend lured me with, with a little bit of fun and I haven't looked back since. Um, you're the only other track coach that I've ever met. I am a kitchen manager at a bar and grill. That is my, that is my job, you know? So when I heard you, uh, in your interview on Mike's podcast, uh, say that you were in the restaurant business, I was like, oh my gosh, there's, there's another one. Cause that's, you know, I tell people, you know, what's your job? Well, I coach, but that, but to pay the bills, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a kitchen manager at a bar and grill here in Macomb. And so that's, it's, uh, it, that was so cool. I said, oh, I got, I have to talk to her because <laughs> so many coaches you talk to are just, you know, teachers or just coaches. And then um, one of the things I loved when I interviewed Mike was when he started coaching, he wasn't a teacher. He uh -huh. worked at a hotel or something like that. And it's so, it's such a weird dynamic that so many people don't understand. Yeah. Um, you know, having outside responsibilities and being, and then being a coach. Um, but it, it was so cool to hear, you know, the restaurant because there, no, most people, the restaurant business is a full-time job and the hours are crazy. Ridiculous. And mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's, it, it's really great. The, uh, the thing I love about it is it's one of the only jobs outside, you know, outside of teaching. Cause I make my, cause I'm a manager. So I make my own schedule. Mm -hmm. So I can completely work around my coaching schedule, which is the hardest part of not being a teacher. Exactly. Lining that up. So, but yeah, that's, you know, you left the restaurant business and I really want to. <laughs> in the near it's hard. It is it's so, so hard. hard. Yeah, the industry especially. itself is just, it's so accommodating. You know, you have the flexibility that you made note of, um, you know, being in the front of house manage, management as well as in bartending, the money was good, you know, and, and as I've stated before, I didn't leave bartending completely until 2018, which is like yesterday, you know, and that was a biggest struggle because, you know, not stupidly, that's kind of what you have to do when you live in California. I was teaching seven periods. I was teaching, so I, I taught 120. Um, I was coaching track and field and volleyball. So I was coaching year round. Um, I was bartending at the time. So I was working seven days a week and long hours at that whenever I had to. Um, but you love it all. So you don't know when to give it up. And everybody's like, you need to rest. And I said, I'm good. Like, you know, I didn't feel like I was running off the fumes. Like now in retrospect, I'm like, holy crap, how did I do that? You know, um, I'm tired from a Saturday meet. I used to go from Saturday meets to a night, a closing shift at the bar. And I'm like, holy, no way. You know, and definitely it's not a bar bar. Um, it was a steakhouse bar. So it, it was a little bit more, more manageable. Um, but yeah, the, the environment, the thrill, the money, the flexibility, it's just so hard to walk away from. Absolutely. But what we can both agree is coaching is better, at least for us. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So you eventually walked away from the restaurant business. Um, but were you, you started coaching, where did you start? Um, you, you see, you were an assistant high school and you were part-time, right? And then you I was, and then I went into full-time because I was full-time teaching as well. Were you coaching jumps and sprints or? I was. So I was, I was one of three. We had a distance coach and a throws coach, and then I coached everything else. So it was, uh, I mean, and that's, well, I'll, I'll say this from the region, from California, that's pretty general. Like most do that, um, unless you're having a bigger squad and then you'll have a jumps and a sprints coach. Um, 
we had a pretty medium-sized, manageable-sized squad at that time, so it wasn't a big deal. A lot of my kids jumped and sprint and hurdled, so the training was pretty uniform, and then we'd take an extra 45 minutes to emphasize whichever specific technique they need to work on. And so how many years were you at the high school level? 2009 to 2014, so five. And then, so how did you transition from high school to college? So I got a call. I, you know, as a high school coach at that point, I was very enticed with going to the collegiate. You know, that was kind of a hoop dream at the time. I didn't know if it would ever happen, but if it could, I was open to the opportunity. I didn't know what it looked like, but I was waiting. Um, and then in the fall of 14, I guess that'd be 13, uh, maybe 14, I don't know. Um, I got a call from Kendra Reimer, who was then the high head coach at San Francisco State. She's now the head coach at San Jose State. Um, and she said, you know, I just got the head coach, head coaching job. I called around to all of my network here in California and your name came up on every single phone call. I need you to come in. I'd be stupid not to at least interview you. And I was like, uh, okay. And in my head, I'm like, nobody called me to tell me about this. <laughs> like you all let me get blindsided by this phone call. Um, but it was awesome. Um, I was just so grateful for even the opportunity to interview for it. The funny part, side note part of that story is I was, I had just come down with the flu and I don't remember the interview at all. I drove to the city, interviewed with her, got home, and I'm like, man, I don't feel so hot. In actuality, very hot, because I had a very high fever, and got into bed, and like the next two days, I was laid up ill. But yeah, and so it, it was on a whim. I got a phone call. I didn't even apply, and, and then after the fact, you know, then I had to apply and whatnot to get hired. I know of so many coaches where, you know, the, the dream is because, uh, you know, most coaches want to get to the, they want to keep going, right? They want to get to the Correct. collegiate, especially when they're starting out, you know, now there's a lot of coaches that are start out at the high school level and get like a teaching job and they're just really happy, content where they're at. So, mm. you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but, you know, there's so many coaches that I know of that's like, oh, I got to do all these things and put in all this work. But a lot of people just get an opportunity kind of on a whim, just out of nowhere, yeah. you know, um, Chad Gunnelson, who uh, is a is a you know a great coach at Dubuque, and he I listened to an interview that he did, and he was he didn't even have his degree, mm -hmm. and Dubuque called him and was like, hey, we want you to be the coach, I, we, you know, and then they he didn't even have a his college uh, degree yet, so he didn't even think that that was going to happen, mm -hmm. kind of, and you know I hear that and I'm, I'm it's kind of unhealthy that I hear these things because I'm like <laughs> oh, I'm just going to wake up and right. I'm going to get a phone call, they're like hey you know, we talked to all these people and they just think you're amazing and we want you to come be the head coach of this program or, or whatever. And mm -hmm. so every day I wake up and that doesn't happen, I get a little more disappointed. So, you know, <laughs> I just keep hearing all these uh, stories of how, <laughs> call it fate, call it whatever you want, that it's just like, you know, if it's meant to be, it'll happen and you just got to be ready for your opportunity, like that kind of thing. Absolutely. But, Absolutely. And I'll say this, you know, I, I didn't realize it until just now when we just talked about it. Um, I didn't think I was one of those people who just got phone calls. I, apparently I am, I, I, not I am, I got one. Let, let me say, let, I got one. Um, but it's one of those things that it does seem so far removed, like, oh, how come I'm not getting that call or whatnot? And I'll say, you know, 
the adage is, is it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I, I honestly kind of hate that. Like there are a billion and 3,000 kabillion, jabillion people in this world. I can't know everybody, but it's the quality of who you know. I do, I do live by that. Um, and to be honest, it's not necessarily who you know, it's who knows you, who is recognizing what you're doing. Um, and literally until three minutes ago, I didn't think about that because I was, you know, as you said, I was busting my ass. You know, I was going to all these levels of education for USATF. Um, I was coaching at the high school level and just, you know, doing my best to not necessarily win, but to get my kids better. And apparently that was going noticed. So. Lucky, lucky for you and lucky for, you know, IUPUI and all these other, you know, yeah. that, that led to that. So, uh, where, where was the first, I'm sorry, where was the first place you coached at collegiately? Collegiately San Francisco state. Okay. Um, and then what you, you coached sprints and hurdles there or jumps? Uh, just the jumps. We had, um, no multis at the time we were developing one. So we did shared responsibilities for the multis. Um, mm. But there I was fortunate my head coach was willing to let me develop and she wanted to just let that just flourish and blossom as it naturally would. Um, so she let me take the jumps because she knew I was comfortable with that. And it was awesome. I, I couldn't ask for a better introductory experience to the collegiate level. So your first, when you started out coaching college, were you, you were still in the restaurant business? I was. Now, time-wise, how much was it more difficult for, you know, going from high school to college and like managing your time with an outside job than high school or was it easier or? Um, it wasn't hard managing. Um, you know, Kendra at the time was like, I know I'm not paying you a lot of money, <laughs> especially at where we're at, you know, California having the stupidest cost of living rate they have. Um, so she allowed me to have the flexibility that I needed to have. Um, I told her my, my loyalty was with her and the program because I wanted to make that my one, number one in a hundred percent. So I did, you know, she said, take Wednesdays and Fridays off, work the restaurant, make your money. I'll see you every other day that we need you. And so I think I did that for maybe two weeks and I was like, I don't like this. Like, <laughs> I'm going to be in the office a hundred percent. I will be there every day. She's like, okay, like when you need to, I need you to make sure you take care of yourself though. And I was like, okay. Um, within the restaurant industry, I was very, very clear with them. I said, this is my number two now. Like I get that I was, this was my number one for a long time, but this is my now number two. So I need you to respect that. Um, I understood having stepped down from the managerial role just to a bartender that a request was a request. You know, I preached that, so I had to abide by that being now a regular quote-unquote employee. Um, but what was great was my coworkers were just so supportive of my career when and what I was doing that they would help any way they could. I would help them when I needed, um, when I needed something. So whether it was even outside of the restaurant, if kids, they needed their kids to be watched on a weekend randomly, I would watch the kids. Um, so yeah, um, it wasn't harder. It was just more deliberate. I guess is the better way to say it because when teaching, I was having to bounce from location to location where I didn't have to bounce anymore. I just had to be more deliberate with my time and kind of just chart it out. The one thing that I've always found somewhat envious of college coaches and I've, I've spoken to college coaches and they, you know, the scheduling of, you know, in college compared to high school, especially uh -huh. the meet schedule and the oh. consistency, you know, that's one of the things 
as you know, and the, the flexibility that you mentioned when the restaurant business is nice because every week is a different, you know, n not necessarily some, some high schools have a very set, you know, meet schedule like JBA mm -hmm. Monday or, you know, a dual meet Thursday or whatever. Um, but at least my, here in Macomb, it's all over the place. Oh, Monday, wow. Wednesday, one week, Tuesday, Saturday, it's just all over. And so it's really hard. That's one of the things I like about, like, I'm also a football coach is I know JV games on Monday, varsity uh -huh. on Monday, and it's super easy. And, you know, track in college, it's, you know, practice all week, meets on Saturday. Yep. And you know, that, that part is really uh, intriguing and tight. Like, oh, that would be so <laughs> nice. Um, actually, I went to a clinic and Coach Gunnelson uh, was the one, you know, he's like, you guys have it way harder than I do as high school coaches trying to figure out a schedule and plan per training and things like that. And mm -hmm. so uh, one of the, one of the things I keep telling myself, I was like, Oh, if I get to call it when I, if I get to coach at the collegiate level, it'd be so much easier to make, you know, to figure yeah. out, plan all these things out. I know that's lofty thinking and there's so many <laughs> other challenges that come with it, but you know, thinking short term. That's one that you can count on. That is definitely one you can count on. Like at this time of year, you know, outside of COVID-19, we have our indoor and outdoor schedules written down in pencil at the very least, you know, if not some of them sketched into pen. So yeah, I mean, it, it is a convenient factor. I will say that I can admit to that one. So you coach, um, you're at San Francisco State, then where do you go after that? After that, um, I was offered a position and, you know, some didn't know at the time it was a volunteer position at Wabash College. So those who know about Wabash College know its greatness in itself, but those who don't are kind of like, well, why would you go to a D3 college in the, in the middle of nowhere, Indiana? Um, but it's an all-male college. It's one of the last single genders that are out there. Um, very small, intimate itself. Track team is notorious. Like they just, they hold such a presence on the campus as well as the football, all, all sports do. Um, but, you know, being led by Clyde Morgan, he just exudes and exemplifies excellence and a call to standard above and beyond already the high call to standard that Wabash calls upon, upon their young gentlemen. Um, I speak very highly of them because I think very highly of them and they've shown me nothing otherwise. Um, not to say no one else is, but this is my experience. Um, so he allowed me to come on and he said, well, I definitely need help from the job in the jumps area and I'll, I'll use your expertise wherever else I can get it. And I said, I'm in. And he goes, you know, this isn't a paid position. I said, I know, but this, you're paying me an experience that I'll never get. And I can't, I can't duplicate that anywhere else at this point. And so, um, we rocked it till the wheels fell off and we run, we won championships that year. Uh, we were, I think it was three points, four points away in indoor. And when we came into outdoor, we were like, Nope, not happening yet. And I, not on my watch. I can't lose twice that close. And so we won an outdoor championship that year. And um, yeah, just going to Wabash and not everyone really understanding at the time the value of it. In retrospect, it was so valuable. Like I can say I single-handedly coached an all-male jump squad, multi-squad, and we did very well. You know, and, and nobody can take that away from me. Absolutely. So, and I... I can't relate to this at all, but as a young female coach, was mm -hmm. that ever intimidating or challenging, you know, just coaching guys and being in an all-male college like that? So I'll say I walked into it and I didn't know what to expect. 
you know, I didn't know if there was going to be a level of machismo that I was going to break through. I didn't know if there was going to be a level of chauvinism, just because, you know, you think about it just off the tops and you're like an all male college. Oh, they're probably like, in my mind, I was like, there's a level of, <laughs> excuse my words, dickheadedness that was going to be there. And that's, it wasn't going to lower, you know, but it was the exact opposite. They were very welcoming. Um, Clyde did a great job of kind of preempting my presence and saying like, this chick knows what she's talking about. So you need to listen and discuss and learn. And so I was very, very humbled by the humble open arms that I was welcomed with. Um, I did, I was hesitant about it going into it, but I was able to let my guard down for a while. And I, I didn't realize ultimately the praise that I would get and that Wabash would get for having an all male staff all male team and one female. And so like I was the only female coach in the athletic department at that time. And just before, they had a female swim coach prior to that. So I was only the second in all time in coaching. Um, and, you know, I remember at the convention, so that would have been in 2016, 2016, 2016, yeah, it was 2016. I had two young ladies come up who I ended up uh, knowing one of them they're like, you're the girl in Wabash. And I was like, yeah, and they're like, that's crazy. And I didn't understand it. And, and I said, why is that crazy? And they said, Wabash, all male, all time. And I was like, got it. They're like, you broke the seal and we love it. And I was like, oh, okay. And I, you know, I wore that badge with pride after that. As you, and as you should, you know, there's not enough, there's so many role models in coaching for a multitude of reason, but there's a lot of role models just for specific groups or, you know, minorities, you know, for you to be, uh, you know, a, a trailblazer in, in, you know, in, in the female coaching community in that regard, you know, you coach, you were the only the second female, the first ever track female track coach at an all male mm -hmm. college. You know, we, you know, we don't always think about the impact that we'll have on, you know, and I, I'm only 25. So I know I don't have, I, I'm not trying to say that I have an impact, but you don't think about the, the you know, how your actions, how they just, you know, it was just a coaching job for you, you know. Exactly. Mm -hmm. An opportunity for me that ended up opening so much more. Yeah, you know, you didn't take it thinking, oh, I'm going to, you know, with that in mind of I'm going to be, you know, the only female, you know, it's, hey, it's a chance to, you know, go coach track somewhere else. But you have, by doing that, you've opened doors that you didn't even know existed, you know, you, that you weren't even thinking about for, you know, other people. That's it's crazy that just like the ripple effect of just mm -hmm. decision, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Um, so then you're, you leave Wabash. Is, did you go, uh, is that when you went to IUPUI after Wabash? Yes. yes. So what ended up happening was uh, we went into our second year together. Uh, we started fall season and whatnot. Um, and for a multitude of reasons, the position was still not a paid position. And I set myself up for that. that I understood like, there, money can't come from nowhere. I am, I'm very keen to that. Um, and so, you know, Coach Morgan did remind me, like, if things are out there, you need to take advantage of these opportunities because I still am not able to get you this money. Um, and not that he wasn't trying. I know he was trying. The AD was talking to me about it. So I understand completely. Um, and IUPUI had posted a position. I saw it. I didn't know my level of interest. I kind of just let it be there. And it was in the back of my head. Um, while at convention, um, 
Antonio McDaniel, Tony McDaniel uh, was at convention as well. Saul Stevens, who's the uh, head coach at Anderson College here in Indiana as well. Um, he was like, Chew, have you applied for that job? And I was like, no. He goes, why not? I said, I don't have the reason. I just didn't. And he goes, you're stupid. And I said, no, I'm not. What are you talking about? I was like, I make calculated moves. What are you talking about? Um, but his point was, and he's very family oriented, as I am, as am I, but I had set myself up financially to volunteer for two years. Um, he was like, we need to get you paid. You know, if Coach Morgan's not going to get you paid. If I can't get you a paid job, like we need to get you paid, you need to apply for that job because I think you can do well at it. And I was like, whatever. So he literally hand walks me over to Coach McDaniel. I was like, Coach, this is Coach Chu. Talk. <laughs> I was like, what? Are you serious? And I was like, hey, how are you? And, um, you know, we discussed the position. And I told him, I'll send my application in once we get back home, whatever. And he was like, I'll be looking for it. I'm excited for this. And I was like, okay. And I was very mild to it because I, I just didn't know. Um, but he got home. We interviewed on the phone. I went on campus for an interview then. And, you know, that's all she wrote. I was excited because I didn't know what the history was. And um, prior to my hiring, they were a distance-oriented program. That's all they did, cross-country and distance and track and field. Um, and his vision was he wanted a well-rounded track and field team. So he wanted all of it because that's what he grew up with at uh, Indiana State. So he said, if I hire you, we're going. All gas. And I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, like, mind you, this is the middle of January, and, and we've got indoors in March. So literally, I had gotten hired with six quote-unquote power athletes, dropped two in the first week. It was like, yeah, that's how it goes. There we go. All right. And, you know, the girls that did stick out, they were like, they tell me now I have had one graduated at this point and she's like yeah we didn't know what to think about you you know not gonna lie I kind of hated you the first day but I was like but you'll love me now <laughs> can't get rid of me um so yeah that's how I got to IUPUI and it, it's it's been a roller coaster of emotions having to develop not having being allowed to develop a program from the bottom um having to expose a university and an institution as to what track and field is, because they didn't know. They didn't have it before. You know, they had a, an inkling because there was a, a glimpse of it prior. I think it was in the early 2000s. Um, but like, hey, we can do some serious damage if you let me go. So um, it's been great. It's been a great experience. So you've, you know, been kind of all, you know, an interesting journey. You've been, you know, you started out as a assistant, you know, part-time assistant, you know, and then full-time assistant in college. And, you know, now mm -hmm. here you are doing great things at IUPUI. What challenges that as a young coach, you know, because you got it, you got into the game early, you know, right out of college and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And what challenges did you have as a young, you know, as a young new coach and how did you overcome those? Um, Challenges and specificity to being a young coach was trying to hold my stance and learn while trying to be effective. You know, you get the old heads in there and they're like, and they literally brush you off and they like, their presence just knocks you over when you're standing together. Um, so just, you know, showing them that I, I was worthy of being in that same circle and I'm trying to learn and try to better myself. And, you know, I was blessed to have a couple pretty talented athletes out the gates. Um, so I, 
I all but hurt, did not hurt them. So it looked like I kind of knew what I was doing at that point. Um, and, you know, furthering that down the road, again, having to rehash that because I was a young collegiate uh, not athlete, collegiate coach, um, again, you know, setting a posture, setting a stance of whether I believe it or not, somebody else believed that I was worthy of being there. So I have to hold that and utilize that. I can't cower down. Um, having the confidence within myself that this was something that I did know how to do. And, you know, that, that was the biggest challenge because everything else you kind of already have. It's all innate and in, it's an intuition that we have as coaches. That's why we're coaches. And that's why we are, you know, wholeheartedly, faithfully in this career for what it is, not for what it can be. Um, what it can be does come, but the what it is in the present is definitely what holds you in that moment. Um, because, you know, whether we want to make them faster, make them stronger, you know, whatever it may be, that just comes. That's part of maturity, you know, and sometimes it comes faster. Sometimes it, it, it's a little bit, bit of a rougher path. Um, but the ability to overcome your own ego, your own pride, is one thing that is, was the biggest challenge for me. Yeah, I definitely, my, my head is so big, especially during track season. Yeah. Because I did, and overcoming that. But at the, at the same point, you know, owning it to a certain degree, you mm -hmm. know, knowing that you're doing what you need to be doing and that you know what you're doing. Exactly. And, you know, is when that for you, you know, did that just come from, I was a collegiate athlete, you know, so I know what I, you know, I knew how to coach from that. Was it coaching education that really helped you have that confidence in that position of, I know what I'm doing or was it success or kind of a combination? It was definitely first and foremost, the education, because if anything else, no one could take that away from me. You know, that is something that I knew that I had, that was a piece of my foundation and and even if I misunderstood everything that I was ever taught and paid for, there was a level of correctness to it. You know what I mean? And so we now reveal it to be our art. That's how we deliver it, our application, our method. Um, but the science space is always there. You know, and there are instances where now I look back and I was like, oh, man, that, that could have gone horribly wrong. But it's also evolved me into what I do now, and everyone does well. They're all they're all alive, so that's the good part, you know. Um, but yeah, it, it, that confidence did come by me investing the time in myself, and then having it get ratified by either marks that my student athletes were achieving, or other people coming to me for advice, or even just the likes of, "Hey, you are doing a good job," and I'm like, "Oh, okay." I'll take that. <laughs> uh, speak, real quickly, speaking on education, just because it's a little, I don't know, snippet that kind of connects us. You, my USATF one instructor was Matt Lydon. Mm. Well, you know. Yes, I do. Uh, I love it. It's so funny. So he was my level one instructor as well. So in that gap of time that I was away, like literally track had left my life completely. Like I don't even know that I watched track and field on TV at that point. I probably did it at the Olympics, but otherwise I, I was pretty clueless. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so I signed up to do my level one <clears throat> and noticed, oh, that item's on the docket. 
I was like, I wonder if he'll remember me. Because, you know, at that point, they had been coaching a while at the San Francisco State, well, at San Francisco State, and they had moved on at that point, um, he and his wife, Randy. And so I go up to him at our first break, and I'm like, Coach Lido, I don't know if you remember me, but I was one of your athletes at San Francisco State. And he takes a moment, and he goes, I do remember. And I, I still think that he's lying. So, Matt, I do think you were lying at that point. Uh, but he played it off very well. And, you know, now going down the road and that was in 2010 um being able to teach level ones alongside of them is super awesome it's it's come full circle and i'm i'm envious and i i still get like it's funny because I, I don't fangirl with him because i know him um but it is it's, it's still kind of it's way super surreal um that i'm now teaching alongside him because he is a big deal he knows a lot really smart you know and so yeah, super. I love that connection. I love it. I love it. Uh, Matt, Ed, he, he doesn't know this, and he probably doesn't even know that I exist, even though we had some really good conversations at level one. Uh, but he, I remember he was, you know, obviously he was an instructor, and I was looking him, looking him up, and I'm like, I've never even heard of this guy. Like, uh -huh. what is he now kind of thing? And that was, you know, part of that was just my own ignorance into well, – there's so many, there's so many track coaches out there, you know, at the collegiate level. It's like, okay – I know who Vince Anderson is yep. and who I, after that, it's just hard. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. but I remember talking to him and he walks in and his hair's all slicked over, all up and <laughs> up, had a fanny pack on. And I'm like, who is this guy? And then he was, he was the, uh, he did the, uh, amongst other things, he did the throws portion of the class, uh -huh. and, um, which I'm a head coach, but I started out as a throws coach. Throws is my main area of focus. And I had some really great conversations with him about throwing and we talked about training and things like that. And I just remember going away with it and it's like, you can't write off anybody what they know, you know? Okay. And I was like, I had never heard of this guy before, but he, you know, just talking to him, I was like, you're right. He knows so much. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things where there are, there are so many resources out there and people that can teach you so much that you don't even know exist. Exactly. And that's, you know, and, that, and that's one of the great, and that's one of the cool, great things about, you know, level one and just, coaching education in general is that there's the networking that it provides and the, the chances to learn from people you didn't think you would learn anything from. I and mean, so just before we got on this call here, I had gotten a call from a friend, colleague, he's a jumps coach as well. And he said, I just finished listening to coaches collabs call, the coaches collabs call from yesterday. And we are speaking on coaching education and, and what that was, not the level, not just the levels, not the academy, not what, like, what does that all entail and what are the benefits of it? And he said, I can't believe I don't call you more. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He goes, I have you at my disposal. You are in my phone. We spend the convention week together. We pal around, like we joke, but we never talk to each other about track and field. And I was like, yeah, I, I get that. And I said, we're both guilty of that. You know, we, we are definitely two good resources for each other. And he goes, that's changing. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. We, we need to change that. You know, and there are so many things, just small conversations, whether intentional or unintentional, that constitute coaches' education when you think about it in retrospect. In the moment, you think you're just shooting the shit and it's, not, it's nothing big. Um, but, I mean, you're right. It, it's just unreal how your ignorance, your ego, your pride can sometimes stop you from having those experiences. But, you know, just the know-all of being vulnerable and allowing things to happen is the best thing ever. Absolutely. I was, I was on that call yesterday listening. 
I saw yeah. that. I saw your name and I was going to say hi and then I got ADD head and, <laughs> and went random. It, 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 it was, I, I think it was, yeah, it's the first one that I've been on live because on top of the restaurant business, I work third shift. Um, oh, man. And so I'm always sleeping during these calls. And so, but I was off. I was off the night before. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna stay up, and I'm gonna, you know. So it was, it was awesome to be part of it live. But it, you know, coaching education and you know, USATF obviously is specific to track and field. But in any sport you coach, I think that like continuing your education and just getting over that ego of thinking you know it all. Like I, I went into USATF one. I'd already been a head coach for four years, I believe, and mm -hmm. coaching to that and here i'm and i i only have one assistant so i've had to coach everything except for pole vault and i'll never try to coach pole vault because it's just literally over my head but also right. i just don't I just can't. <laughs> uh, there's a level of crazy that goes with pole vaulting i like as a pole vault or not a pole vault coach someone who coaches the pole vault there's a level of crazy um but i went into usatf thinking i already know all this i know i've already coached all you know and um one of the things that led me that always put in the back of my mind of wanting to kind of start this podcast even was I was sitting there and there were people at USATF who had, were just starting coaching. I mean, from, mm -hmm. you know, from scratch. And I remember there were coaches that they didn't know how to set up like a fly 30 and yeah. they, you know, they had to draw it out on the board. And I'm thinking, who doesn't know this kind of stuff? And then, but then, you know, and then that's where, you know, like the arrogance comes into mind, uh, comes into play, but then like talking to coach Lydom and I'm like, Oh, there's so much that I don't even know. Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, Part of you know, it boils down to this podcast is an excuse for me to call coaches like you and, and talk <laughs> and pick your brain and then post it, hoping that somebody else gets something out of it. So while my intent, you know, I would have purely selfish, um, but you know, there's so much from uh, you know young coaches that, and even coaches that have been around it for a while. I mean, I haven't been around it long enough to say I've been in the game a long time, but I've you know been coaching longer than most people that I that I've met. Mm -hmm. And I've been a head coach at USATF longer than most of the people there. And, um, but I walked away with pages of notes, uh -huh. that kind of thing. And um, ultimately the reason I went to USATF one is because I really wanted to get to level two. And, yeah. um, and you got to do one before two. So, so, which I applied, I haven't heard back yet, but I applied for the online one next month. So fingers crossed. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, in any, you know, football, volleyball, every sport kind of has their own form of education and you've got to get out of your own way and just yeah. go to it because, you know, I thought I knew everything and, you know, to this day, I still do, unfortunately, but I, <laughs> I don't, um, but you'll, it's just crazy. Not only, you know, education, even if you learn nothing, you learn, you, you get networking, you know, exactly. if you go to a clinic, you know, you sit down. I remember one of the, the, the light bulb moments for me as a young coach and um, that I, I look back, I think back at all the time. Uh, Iowa has a, uh, you know, their coaching clinic that championship production puts on every year. Uh -huh. And on, I think the last five years, and it's the first year I went, you know, I started as a throws coach. So I was like, I'm going to go to everything but throws because I already know how to coach the throws. And yeah. Dan Half was speaking and, you know, Dan's an amazing world round coach. And he was talking about, rotational technique and shot or something like that. And Jerry, uh, one of my coaching friends who's been a great mentor to him, he's like, you should go listen to Dan. He's a great coach. He, you know, he could learn you, teach you something about throwing. I'm like, I don't need to go talk, listen to a throws guy. I already know everything about throwing. But I was like, all right, fine. I'll go to one of his sessions. And he blew my mind. Right. He, mm -hmm. the way he explained it and the things he said. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I had no, and I remember, I like ran up to him at the end and I was like pulling my phone. I was like, can you look at this video of this athlete? What would you do? What would you do? And he was so nice and, you know, and, and was super helpful. And I learned so much. 
And, um, you know, you know, that and like my kind of mindset I had at USATF where it's like, just get out of your own way, be a, be a sponge. If you, you know, the, the thing that I've talked to, you know, coaches, young coaches that I see, cause I've been, you know, I've been in their shoes. It's like, you just need to be a sponge to everyone around you. Now sponges pick up dirt too, you know, that's not always good yeah. stuff, but you know, then that's on you as a person to figure out, but you just got to absorb everything. Absolutely. You know, and I'll, I'll, I'll admit to this. I was guilty of that as well. Two times around. I didn't figure it out the first time. So like in our area at that time, there was only a less than a handful of coaches who had their level two in the high school ranks. And so I was like, I'm fine beef. I'm 3%, you know, like <laughs> say something to me. I wish you would. And, you know, thank goodness someone put their foot on my throat and I had to wake up and well, I was like, okay, slow your roll little homie. Like you don't, like you check yourself. And then, you know, coming into the collegiate ranks, you know, I still held myself pretty high in regards to education because I knew what I was learning and I knew who I was talking to. And so at convention, at a couple of clinics, I was like, I'll go to everything else, similar to what you said. I'll go to something different because I don't think I can get something from them. You can always get something, even if it's just a word. Or maybe it's a reflection of something that you did early in your career and you're like, dang, why didn't I stick with that? You know, because we do evolve, but it doesn't mean that we have to evolve out of something, you know, um, that, and it's, it's crazy because then you do that. You sit there and you go in with the mindset of, all right, let's get through this hour, you know, and you don't even take out your notepad and then you're pissed off 20 minutes in because you're fumbling for your notepad and you're like, damn it, I know better than this, you know? And, and if anything else, like you said, maybe you learn something that you'll never do. Like, nope, I don't ever want to do that. And that's okay too. And that also goes into line, you know, as just can, I guess I'll just use throws for an example. I've listened to a lot of throws coaches and I'm like, I don't like how they do that. I'll never do that. But it's all at the same point, what that does is solidifies why I'm doing the things I'm doing now. Right. Correct. So, I don't like that. Well, why don't I like it? Well, because what I do is different and here's why I prefer the way I do it. You know, it's, um, it's great when you, uh, can, you know, I don't know, I don't know how I'm trying to say this, reinforce your own beliefs yeah. kind of thing, you know, cause you can go, like you said, like, you know, you'll have coaches and you'll tell you you're doing it right. And there's like that effort, you know, like that confirmation that like, I'm doing a good job uh -huh. and, and they know, you know, it's like, okay, the, the flip side of it is you'll hear a different perspective and you won't like it, but that also just reinforces your own belief in what you're doing. If that, makes, if that makes sense. No, it absolutely does. And I'll even take it a step further is you hear it, you don't like it. And it's, it's in your mind already. So it's already in your tool belt, but you get an athlete who resembles what you didn't like. And you're like, well, damn, now I got to use it, you know? And that's part of the education. That's loading your tool belt. Cause we want to make sure that belt is as heavy as it can be. So that way, whenever you go to build your houses, those houses are the best things that you can make. And, you know, I, I tell my athletes that all the time. I'm like, I'm about building your house. We don't want to live in, what are those called? A pre-manufactured home. Mm -hmm. Like we want to build solid foundation. We want, how many floors do you want? And, and it's so, they look at me and they roll their eyes. They're like, coach, you're so stupid. And I'm like, you're going to get it. You're not going to get it right now but you'll get it at the end of your four years or whenever our careers are done together, like you'll see what I'm building. And then you'll be like, 
well, dang, okay, thanks. You know, and, and that's happened a few times over at this point. So yeah, it's, you just keep building your tool belt or uh, loading your tool belt and you never know when you have to reach back and grab that one. I think the best, one of the best tools that you can get is, um, you know, I guess continuing the analogy is, you know, you buy tools, if you need a tool, you go to a hardware store, which in this case, I would say it would be like a mentor, you know, somebody that you keep going back to, who were your mentors growing up and who is, you know, who do you consider a mentor today? And, you know, obviously with, which coaches collab, which we'll touch on uh, here pretty soon, you have a huge network um, of people. So mm-hmm. you know, when you were a young coach who kind of groomed you and helped you out. Um, starting out in coaching, I'll stick specifically to track and field. Um, I had my best friend who was the head coach of the team that I was with, Chrissy Prasad. Uh, she really, I didn't know it at the time, but you know, again, in retrospect, she was teaching me a lot of things, whether it was on the track or off the track, managerial. Um, there are a lot of things that I didn't realize that I was learning. I was learning how to play chess, not checkers. And that was one of the things that her mentor, Will Matthews, rest his soul, um, he taught her and I was blessed to have, I think it was a two year, maybe three year layover with him where he was like, all right, you, or Harris at the time, I was married at the time. I'm handing this over to you. Don't F it up. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh God, that's not pressure. Um, but, you know, both of them very, very much so opened my eyes to more of the why. You know, and it wasn't the why of why are you doing certain exercises when you do them and whatnot. It was why am I doing this? And that became the greatest satisfaction ever. You know, I've given birth to two kids, but I have more than 300, 400 kids who call me mom. Day in and day out. Some of them are in their 30s. Some of them have had kids already. Oh my gosh. You know, and it's it's one of those things where it's like, wow, that's why I do this. It honestly, this is why I do it. And um they taught me if I if I value them as people, I'm gonna get so much greater results out of them. And and that's what it was is the ability to invest in them so they can invest in themselves and then the track will come. And so, I mean, those two are the first two that come to mind in that. Um, thereafter, you know, my level two coaches uh, for the jumps, you know, Jeremy Fisher st- stood out more often than not. Um, I-, I think it's more because of locale. He was still in California and I was in California as well. Um, we crossed paths a few times. Um, he loves to say our little Asian connection because he's um, half Korean. And so he's like my Asian little sister. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> and so um, that, and I, I did make an effort to reach out to him and keep in contact with him because I, for whatever reasons he and I, you know, did uh, connect. And so it was, it was great to have him just kind of help show me the way. I did get that level of arrogance where I was like, oh, I'm good. I don't need to really contact him anymore. And shame on me. And I will wholeheartedly admit that. And I've told him that I'm like, I don't know why I let that happen. Cause that was dumb. Cause it's not his job to reach out to me. It's my job to reach out to him. And that's one thing. If I can't preach that enough to the young coaches or young, young, just coming into the business coaches is it's not your mentor's job. It's your job wholeheartedly. And you can't be abashed of saying, well, they're busy. So I'm not going to bother them. If they're in your quarter corner, they have the full right and ability to say no. Hey, I can't talk right now. Try again in next week or, Hey, let me finish this, whatever. Or they'd be like, hey, been waiting for you. 
and then you got egg on your face because you literally were sitting there being a dork, you know. Um, after that, um, my number one mentor, and I, I say this day in and day out, and I, I can't thank him enough for all the things that he's done for my career up until this point, is Chris Huffins. So um, he has really challenged me to be the best person, best coach, and even best mom. That's the one thing that I love is he, he does challenge me outside of track and field. I can be. Um, he calls me out. And I do, at this point, we are best friends and, and we call each other out and we do have that comfortability and, and the ability to say the truth to each other without getting our butt hurt. Um, but he's always asked me, well, why are you doing that? Why are you investing time in that? You know, what's the purpose? And I can't give more value to, them, to that than it already has. Um, with that, he's been able to help me grow in places that I didn't know I needed to grow. And so it's like, oh goodness, dang. And, and you know, and it makes me really realize it helped me go backwards and realize who my real mentors were at the time, you know? And so you kind of sift through that and you, you let the little ones drop out and that's fine. Um, those would be, I would say the most uh, mark making mentors across the way. I definitely have had smaller, you know, you do have those one minute mentors it doesn't take away from them but that they serve their purpose in that moment so those are the most long-lasting ones definitely so you you know let's say there's a young new coach you know real green that's mm -hmm. looking for one how do you suggest like what's your advice for picking one or approaching someone kind of how do you do you think those relationships just have to form organically over time or you know just you walk up to somebody and say, hi, I'm coach McGackie. Please be my mentor. I'm, I'm yeah. stupid. <laughs> Please be my mentor. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, to an extent you can do that, you know, but I think you have to, you have to show what your value is to them, you know, and it's not like, oh, well, I won this in this championship. This is what I can bring to the table. It's, I want to be better. I want to be a part of your coaching tree. And you have to be a good person. You have to be vulnerable. You have to make it so that you're an accountable person so that they can go to bat for you without any hesitation. Um, I'd say, you know, taking the, the li literal, hi, my name is, is not a bad thing. But knowing when to do it is definitely a big, a big piece of that puzzle. Um, I would say also, uh, Knowing where, who you are is the very, 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 very most important thing before you introduce yourself to someone because you want to make sure that your values align because if your values don't align your, and not your methods, but your values and your ethics align, then that's a true nurturing relationship. If you can't see yourself operating the way that they operate, there's no use to the relationship. I'm not saying that you have to agree on everything, but ethically, if you are not at the same stance, there's not much to be learned besides what you don't want or maybe what you, you know, I, and I know that sounds kind of black and white-ish and it's not, um, it's more of how to let it flourish in the long run. Um, you know, people aren't going to do the same things that you do, but if you know the nature of it and the heart of it, then it's okay if you just have now another avenue to re use as a resource going forward in different actions. 
Yeah, that, you know, and, and, I, and I love that, especially, you know, when you're approaching, let's say like you have a huge, like a big name coach in your town mm-hmm. and you want to get to, you know, um, like I, I have a, I have an incredible tra- uh, track coach at WIU and Diane Woolley, mm-hmm. who is, you know, very smart and successful. Coach. Phenomenal. And, you know, but it wouldn't be productive for me to approach her and ask her questions if we didn't align on the non-track things, per- okay. you know, and that's, and, you know, I'm not saying that that's happened, but, you know, just, you know, for, as an example, you could, you could have, you know, a connection to the best person in your field. But if, if, if things, you know, if, if all your dot, you know, I's aren't dotted and T's aren't crossed in the minutia of things, then you're not going to get, you know, near as much out of it. Exactly. And so I guess segue that into something that you've, you know, kind of become a big name in and that's collaboration. <laughs> and before we mentioned the, the Facebook group, you know, just go like, the, one of the things that I love about being a track coach and more so, and one of the things I love about track more than like, I love coaching football, but track is definitely more important to me. And I enjoy it more because of how open of a community it is. Yeah. In you know, other sports, there's so many coaches that don't talk because you know, like, Oh, they're our rival or they won't, um, they're going to steal my ideas or they're going to do this track. It, it, you can just appreciate a performance no matter what. Because while there is a team scoring thing to it, and obviously you want your team to win, you can just appreciate a good performance for okay. whatever. I remember last year at the state track meet, I had a, a kid throwing discus and one of our sectional, one of the teams from our sectional was in there and they were all cheering for him and clapping for him as he was walking to the ring, like, Oh, let's go Adam. And I thought, you know, they don't know. I've never talked to them. They don't know us. You know, he beat their thrower at sectionals. Why would they be cheering? But it's like, because you, no matter, you just want to see kids succeed. And I think it's really unique to track. You know, you talk like you you talk to a basketball coach, and it's like, no, I don't want him to have twenty points, or yeah. you know, I don't want him to have a big night because we're probably probably means we lost. Yeah. If in track, that's not really a thing. You just want every kid to succeed, and just hope that your kid is better, and that you yep. coach them, you know, better. Yeah. And that's something that I don't I, I don't know why. Maybe it's not. Maybe there's other sports that I don't know about that it's not. But it just in my experience, that's something that's so unique and separates track coaches. And you know, there are so many coaches that will just if you email you their training print, you know, I re- you go to a clinic and they're like, okay, this is what we do in August. And you know, it, there's more to that than coaching. Um, yeah. Tony Holler is, you know, a really big name in sprints right now. And feel free mm-hmm. to cats thing has kind of taken over sprinting in Twitter, but uh, he's like, I can tell you every workout, but he's like, and I will, if you ask, but you got to be able to coach it. Yeah. But it's just like coaches willingness to share and collaborate the in track that I just think is so amazing and just wholesome, I guess is the word I want to use. The crazy part is that it wasn't always that way, though. Really? Like, even dating back to as close as, I would say, 15 years ago, as if the secret playbook was a thing. And it's not. And and that's kind of like, it, it is kind of the genesis of Coaches Collab, because the playbook is science. The execution, the play caller, is what the difference is, you right. know? And so it, it's we're we're going away from it and what i love the most is the old heads are saying we do need to go away from it and so that just validates the whole notion you know what i mean because the old heads are the ones who were doing it before not all of them but there are some who were just like yeah we do need to go away from that i'm like thank god you know <laughs> it is just we're not like you said it's all science we're not reinventing the wheel you know exactly none of us are uh Sir Isaac Newton. Wow, that was stupid. I can't even remember. <laughs> you know, we're not reinventing physics. 
it's all been done for us. Absolutely. I mean, there was a time where that wasn't, you know, like the Fosbury flop, like, you know, like that was a revolutionary thing or, you know, whatever mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, there are things that like, but none of that, none of that's happening right now. Maybe that some, maybe something will happen. Maybe there will be a new, what better way to long jump or yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, all we're doing is just stealing stuff from other coaches that mm -hmm. were there for us. You know, that's, that's kind of, you know, that's, and not, that's not a bad thing. It's, no. you know, at all. And it, it's almost not stealing because so many coaches are just giving it away. Exactly. Because they care about the sport. Um, I really tried before this COVID, before COVID happened, I was really going to try to, I really wanted to start a, a club in my area. Uh -huh. And um, one of the guys that I, I've learned so much from who has a, uh, his own podcast that's really amazing is Joe Frontier. He's a throws coach in Madison, Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, and uh, he, talks about he has a huge he's he is a high school throws coach but then he has a, a really successful club throws club and he talks about he's like well I, you know he's like i'm coaching kids from other schools because if they're better then my kids have to be better yep. and just raising the level of competition that kind of thing it's like you know you're not my you're not my athlete but i want you to do really well because that's why i got into coaching it's not selfish exactly um and you know and you know older coaches they just want to see the sport grow you know, and I mean, there are always going to be those coaches that are selfish and think that mm -hmm. they know, you know, they know what's right. And the only way to get that is if they give it, you know, kind of thing. Yep. But yep. Um, there are so many coaches that have just been around the game for so long and, they, you know, they're just happy to help any, you know, to give it out. And because whatever makes the sport better is ultimately a net positive. Absolutely. Kind of and so that's as, as a young coach, I'm very grateful that I'm, part, you know, mm -hmm. in, in a sport where I can just say, hey, you know, I can just pick, you know, there's all these things. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's you know so let's you know coaches collab yeah probably the greatest yeah. thing discovered in like the last two months <laughs> it, again because i just i just get on facebook and, and it's like all right what am i gonna learn today because there's yeah. gonna be right. and you know that it while covid it, it, the pandemic and you know losing the season and there's you know all these negatives to it but one of the positive things is there's been this, I guess I should say unprecedented because I don't know, I'm too young to know these things, but just this boom of coaching, networking and collaborating and learning because we didn't, there's nothing else to do, you yeah. know? We're not uh, coaching like, anyone. We gotta exactly. coach ourselves. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's huge in this. Someone, you know, just as a lowly a high school coach, it's been amazing to just peer into the minds of all these college coaches and just learn mm -hmm. from it, just sit in on calls and it's like, I have no right to be here right now, but I am like, um, so why, what made, like, what made you start that? Was it just like a, like, like, Hey, does anybody want to talk kind of thing? Basically, or? basically that's what happened. So, uh, when we got shut down at the very first thought I had was, all right, for that first week, I got to keep my girls in shape just in case, like, this was a, oh, my bad, we can come back to school, which ultimately did not happen, obviously, because we still haven't even opened up our university. Um, when I realized that this was a thing and that we are actually going to be sheltered in place and like no one was going anywhere anytime soon, I was like, okay, well, I need to take advantage. I selfishly need to take advantage of this and reach out to these coaches out here so I can reamp my game. Not that it was stale, but I knew that this was an opportunity for me to do it without having to lose anything. So... I, it literally was a Genesis uh, generated post on Facebook. I said, hey, 
at the time we weren't shelter in place yet. So I was like, if people want to meet in Indy, we can meet in Indy, just, you know, meet for coffee and we'll talk. So maybe it'll be about track. Maybe it won't be about track, but we're going to like help each other, you know? And then, um, I also said, uh, maybe if we do a phone call, like if you're on duo or whatever it was at the time, because zoom wasn't the thought yet. It wasn't there yet. And so had I known, I would have bought stock at that time. Um, uh, and I tagged a few base people, you know, some were in state, some were regional, some were key players on each side of the coast that I knew that I would want to have in the conversations. Um, it ranged all the way down to age group, all the way up to post-collegiate elite. And of that, 60 people were like, let's go, I'm in. And I was like, all right, sounds good to me. You know, like, we'll figure it out. I'll make a group, we'll get on there. We'll chat a little bit, you know, no slandering, just pure track goodness. And so it was great you know, started the group and whatnot, and then literally woke up 24 hours later and it doubled in size. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> Who said I could tell you to invite people? Like, it was supposed to be us. <laughs> and then I was like, okay. Um, and then, you know, day after day, it was growing, like astronomical numbers. And within seven days, we had, I think it was if like almost tripled, quadrupled, like five times over. And I was like, oh God, what am I doing? You know, like, put the brakes, pump those brakes real quick. I don't know what's going on. And then it just, it was crazy. In a week, we were over a thousand people. And, and I was like, I was very protective at that point. And I still very much so am. Because um, I didn't want it to be like all the other track and field groups where it became, oh, I have a kid who's doing this, this, and this, who has a spot for them, you know? oh, I'm, I need a job, who has an opening? Or, you know, whatever trash talking, let's run type topics. And I was like, no, like that is not what I want. If I wanted those, I would go there. Like I don't even frequent any of those. And so um, at that point, I think I had kicked already one person out. <laughs> I had, you know, deleted a few posts. I'm like, yo, like this is what I'm about. Like if you don't want to follow these rules, not to be a dick, but like, go somewhere else because those exist. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I now hear, and I've heard a, a couple times over that like, that's what the value of this group is, is that the integrity of it. And I was like, well, awesome. <laughs> and, you know, we started off, the theory was we're going to just do a call a week and just talk track and field. And it didn't have to be as event specific. We were just going to talk about concepts and an application of those concepts. Um, and then I was blessed to have people step up and like, well, I want to lead a jumps call. I want to lead a distance call. I want to lead this call. I want to lead this call. I was like, uh, 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 okay. You know, and then crap, well, now I got to figure out how to do Zoom. Well, crap, now I got to get a paid account for Zoom. And, you know, we, we've evolved into that. And it's just, it's been all gas since March 16th. What are, you know, this came in a time of, of, you know, kind of like a, it was born out of free time and the, the, the opportunity. What are the plans with Coaches Collab moving forward? It, you know, assuming things eventually will start to reopen, you know, mm -hmm. you haven't, you start indoor coaching and things like that. Is, you know, is it, are the breaks going to just be pumped a little bit, maybe less calls, or is this something you still want to keep growing? Yes. And it's funny enough, if I wanted to get rid of it, I, I'm being told that I can't. <laughs> there are multiple people who are like, 
there no you're not stopping this even if you wanted to we're not letting you and i'm like oh okay <laughs> good to know so now my the foot is directly on my neck got it um no uh i i never had intention for it to go down because that we uh, well we all assume that we will go back to work mm -hmm. uh, whatever that looks like it looks like um it is my sole intention to make sure that this does not go away now reality says just like in our training intensity goes up frequency goes down so the quality of calls is going to go up hopefully you know in theory whatever that looks like it, it will go up but the frequency is going to go down and we're seeing that already um with different various states opening up in different stages and whatnot the frequent the population of the calls is decreasing the number is decreasing and that's fine like i i get that but that's why i record them because at this point I know that the recordings are being utilized a lot. You know, like I know I've seen references like, hey, if you go back to this call, you'll get to be able to blah, 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 blah. Um, so we've already gone down to every other week and just recognizing that people, I mean, my own group leaders are going on vacation. So who am I to say, no, you need to get on. Like, I don't even pay these people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so we've gone to every other week and that way we can, you know, respect people's lives and have them. I, like, I am a big encourager of, of feeding yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't give 100% if we're not 100%. I can only give what I have. So taking time for family, taking time for just being lazy. You know, we're not very capable of doing those things as coaches. But, you know, I want to enable you to have that decision to be lazy. Um, so we're out every other week at this point. Um, we've talked about going to one call a month per group and allowing the freedom of the group leaders to schedule that as they seem necessary. You know, the one that throws out in my head is, you know, distance runners tend to have Thursdays off as a, their complete days off. So maybe their call happens then. Um, power events, we usually take Sundays off. Maybe that's when our call happens. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so those conversations are in the works and I don't have any intention of breaking this down anytime soon. Awesome. What, you know, have you learned personally, you know, mm -hmm. what have you got personally out of coaching collab, like in the group? Have you, you know, has your like, and you know, training specifically, like, have you learned things that you didn't think you would, you know, kind of thing? Yes. Yes. Uh, things that have blown my mind and I have to wear a mask on the camera because my face is always on there. Um, you know, things as simple as, hey, we teach or, you know, we, we preach the penultimate step and it's, it's purpose of what it is in, in the horizontal to vertical translations, mm -hmm. but that some of these coaches aren't using it or utilizing it as much as we think. You know, that one right there, it still blows my mind. Every time it pops in my head, I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. But I understand the notion and, and it's something that I think subconsciously I've gone to myself, but I don't have to fight with it as much. And so something as simple as that, um, we just had the blocks call on when Wednesday it was. Um, and there are a few things that people were saying that I was like, oh, okay. And this is why I have you guys on the call because I want to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm doing right by my athletes first and foremost, selfishly. Mm -hmm. um, but second to that, you know, evolution of our skills and application and methods and things like that, not the science, of course, and, and kind of the science too, um, they evolve quicker than we can get them down on paper. So these books that are happening, they take more than just two days to publish, you know, and so 
by having these conversations, we're able to get this knowledge out quicker. And some people are going to apply and some, some people aren't. And that's just the way it is because either they don't have that caliber of athlete or like I, I vulnerably said the other day, um, taking trochanter links and applying them to black block positioning beyond my scope. Mm-hmm. Not that I'll never use it, but right now it's just not in my wheelhouse and I'm not ready for it and neither are my athletes. And that's okay too. But, you know, when that evolves, I'll be ready for it to be there. It's nice to hear, you know, being a young, just high school level coach and listening to all these college coaches, you know, it's nice to hear that they're still learning and growing no matter how long you've been doing it. I think back and this is, I, I want to say it was John Wooden, greatest college basketball coach ever. Mm-hmm. In Indiana, maybe Bobby Knight, I don't know. Yeah. I know college, <laughs> I'm going but, John Wooden. <laughs> okay. uh, but I want to say it was John Wooden, and I could be wrong, but a great collegiate basketball coach would mail out questions. And I want to say, I, w- I want to say when I was told the story it was John Wooden, but I could be wrong, but he would mail out questions to other coaches about like, how do you do this or how do you work that and then put it into his program. And, you know, you just think about uh, if somebody that's already, you know, let's, Fragment sake, let's say I'm remembering right, and it was John Wooden, the greatest college basketball coach ever, is still trying to learn from other coaches because you can only improve. And that's, you know, so it's nice It's nice when you see, like when you get on these calls and you see all these great collegiate coaches on there, and it's like, you know, it's nice to know that they're learning too. And exactly. It's not I mean, just dumb little me. <laughs> you should see, I mean, if you go back and you look at the weeks, one, two, three, maybe even to the fourth week of calls, the names that are on there and I'm sitting here and I'm like okay in my head I'm like oh my god 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 you know and there was one call uh, a sprints call we had where we had um, coach Holloway from Florida we had Vince Anderson we had uh, Ralph Mann we had Bianca Knight and I think Tiana Barletta was on there as well and a coach from my conference uh, messaged me during the call. He's like, Chu, how'd you pull this off? I was like, I didn't pull off anything. <laughs> Literally, these people were willing to be here. And he was like, did you know all of them prior to this? I said, I knew some of them, not all of them, you know, but yeah, I was like, this is the world we're living in now. Like we do have that access in. And not to say that we, we should in a sense feel that they are tangible to us because they are they're human beings um but the biggest thing that i can say that i've wanted to achieve by this is that though we hold them on the pedestal though they are bigger better greater and they've done these crazy great things all we have to do is open our mouths and 99.9 percent of the time they're gonna respond back and that's the awesome thing about it yeah, it just it goes into what we touched on earlier with willing to share, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, Mouse has been coaching for at a high level for a very long time. And he has so much to teach anyone. And he, you know, he listened to the, you know, the, the collab calls or the um, athletics LLC, uh-huh. and just the information that he shares. And it's like, oh, my gosh, like, this right. is crazy. Yeah, someone said it on Twitter, I think it was yesterday, um, and tagged me in it. They're like, I, I just sit there and I soak it all in. I was like, girl, me too. like like I know I moderate the call and I know I'm supposed to be presently there but half the time I'm like wow okay okay and I'm just like oh wait I gotta moderate the call now (laughs) you know 
Um, so besides, you know, track specifically, besides joining Coaches Collab, what just what general advice, you know, kind of in the call, what's advice that you that you think every young like what advice did, you know, young coach you need to hear? And that, you know, what advice do you have for any young coach or new coach of getting in? Like what what are like the key points you think? That... Uh, the biggest baddest is what you said earlier. Get out of your own way. Don't stand on yourself. It, it's we've got to be vulnerable. We've got to be willing to learn. Um, don't be afraid to invest in yourself. You know, I will say up until a few years ago, I was like, I can't afford that. Literally, I can't afford that financially. But we always find a way to get the things we really want. And so do you not really want it? Or are you just making the excuse not to get it? So, you know, education isn't cheap by no means. And it's that's rightfully so because it's very valuable. That's a, something that I'm learning coming out of this process and, and learning more about the, the value of value, that there has to be a dollar amount on it because that's how much it is. Like uh, something that Ross Dexter has taught me in, in having conversations with him is when I set my prices for my personal coaching, and I don't do this often, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not sitting here creating these athletes outside of track and field of collegiate levels. Um, I can't short sell myself because then my client, my athlete is then going to say, well, then it must be not that, that must not be that valuable if I'm not having to pay a, a pretty penny for it. Now I'm not saying it's like a hundred dollars an hour by no means. I, I'm not that valuable, but you know, I have to put a great value to it because it, that's what it is. So as a young coach, know what the value of the things that you're investing in are. Do a, a risk analysis to that. You know, the risk not being like a fail or uh, success, success or fail, but what is this going to give me in the long run? All of your actions need to be qualified by that. Make calculated moves. Sometimes what some seem as a lateral move and, and not progressive can be a way progressive move two to three years down the line. And you just have to be aware of that. Now, I'm not saying overthink and stop yourself because, again, then that's when you're getting in your own way. Use your circle, ask questions. Um, you know, if you strive to be similar to someone that you look up to, look at their path. Because you'd be astounded at the, some of the, astonished, I'm sorry, as to some of the paths that people have taken to get to where they are today. You know, um, I, my move to Indiana to the D3 level from a D2 level paid position was criticized. And I understood why it was because I probably would have criticized it myself. But knowing where it was going to be able to put me, bar none had the value in itself. And I mean, at the very least, moving out of California was a 20% pay raise. So that, that in itself was enough for me to sell. I was like, I'm out. Peace. Go watch my license plate as I leave the state line. Um, but yeah, so uh, calculated moves. Be purposeful. Have intent. That is the biggest, baddest thing. And get out of your own way all very you know like it's huge and and i wish i had heard those things like my first year unfortunately <laughs> like with most lessons that took time yeah and you know it, it's just so it's it's good to hear that coming from you know somebody established like you because you. you have that you know be able to reflect on that um before we end it you know it's called the coach growth podcast for a reason what is your 
planned growth? Like, what are your future plans? What do you, how do you plan on growing, continuing to grow as a coach? That is a great question because <laughs> right now I'm like, oh God. Um, you know, honestly, head coaching position is on, it is in the vision. Um, something that I had said in a prior podcast was the opportunity has to be ready for me. I don't necessarily have to be ready for the opportunity. And that's something that I've kind of switched up in the most recent years. Um, I thought, you know, going forward, I'd have to groom myself into those things. And sometimes that's just not the case. So I now say that head coaching is going to be in my future. I'm ready for it. It's going to happen. And I'm going to let it happen when it does. So if that's tomorrow, awesome. If it's 10 years online, even better. Who knows? Um, you know, at this point, I would love to say that I want to be in the power five. Um, I've set the scope a little bit narrower and had a little more intent. I want to be at an impactful power five. Um, narrowing the scope even more. I want to be at an impactful institution and a program that is top 25. So whether that's power five or not at this point, I don't know. Um, it's funny how when you widen the scope, it's, it's easy to keep it pretty, not general, but kind of lofty. And then when you narrow the scope, the schools get smaller and that becomes outside of the power five sometimes. Um, so I, I wouldn't restrain myself because I now know in, in my 10 years, 11 years deep of coaching in the collegiate level, or I'm sorry, uh, six years of collegiate level, 10 years of collegiate coaching or coaching in itself, um, the politics are something that get overlooked. And there are a lot of po politics to be played in different institutions. So I'm not gonna limit that to the power five because that goes to everybody. Um, so just an impactful institution that is top 25 in the nation and that can be D1, D2, D3. I, I'm not setting a limit to that because we've seen day in and not day in and day out, but on more than one occasion, D3 beating D1, D2 beating D1. So it doesn't have to, I, I'm not a classist like I was when I was younger, to be honest with you. I thought D1 was the it, you know, like that was my <laughs> moment. And, and now I'm like, no, I just want to win. You know, yeah. having been able to experience a championship ring at this point, like, I, I foolishly said, I have a ring, but it's a D3 ring. And I don't remember who it was, but they all but like literally knocked me out. They're like, how dare you say that? And I'm like, it's a D3 ring. And they're like, a championship is a championship. Like people don't just go win championships aloof. Like Absolutely. it is very intentional. And I was like, yeah, I get that. And now I understand because when I have to put those points that I've written, I, not I accomplished, but I was able to coach on my resume or talk about them. Like we did the thing, you mm -hmm. know, and regardless of what the marks may have been in regard to, uh, what's it called? If I put them next to a D1 or maybe a D2 championship, it doesn't matter because I was able to coach those guys up when they needed to be. So mm -hmm. I'm good with like, now I, I wear that ring when I do and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> And, the, you know, there is something to be said to that. You look at, like, the Division One level. Football stands out to me right away. You, you look at how North Dakota State is a – well, all sports powerhouse, but they are a football powerhouse. And, you know, it's how many of those kids could have gone to Iowa or U of I or wherever and maybe not won a national championship, but, like, well, I, was, I played at Power Five. It's like, is that more important or is winning the umpteenth national championship more important? Exactly. Okay. 
Exactly. You know? It's an experience. Honestly, yeah. and that's part of one of the things that like, you know, I try to really just nag my student athletes or even recruits with is do you want to win or do you want to practice? Not right. hard. Not hard. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, like the experience is the experience kind of regardless of the level, you know, mm -hmm. like I think like a, a coach that's not at a power five school that just blows my mind is Judd Logan. Yep. Judd Logan is an amazing coach. I had never heard of Ashland. Yeah. You know, or, or, you know, and then there, and there's so many other examples, Chris Parna up in yep. Minnesota, you know, like there's so many great coaches that, you know, it's like, and there is something to be said, but obviously there is something to be said about being a power five coach, Yeah. but there are, but there are so many great coaches that aren't at power five that are doing amazing things. Yep. Agreed. You know, I, I remember, you know, when I started coaching and I was 19 and I'm like, you know, eventually I'm going to be at LSU, obviously, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh -huh. <laughs> but, you know, I remember I was having a conversation with a friend of mine and they're like, you know, if you got to coach at college, like you want to be D1, right? I'm like, no, I just want to be at a program that wants me, you yep. know? And, you know, and that's, you know, like you said, like there's got to be specifics and the, you know, location, wherever isn't necessarily the most important thing. It's a, it's a fit. Mm -hmm. And so, you're right. You, you know, once you kind of narrow it down and like, okay, what are, you know, and rank your ideals as to where it is, it mm -hmm. opens your mind to other possibilities. That's yep. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, um, that's all I've got. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks mm -hmm. for talking. Thanks for all that you do as you know, with <laughs> coaching lab and everything else. Um, where can other, you know, where can people find you? Obviously coaches collab you're on Twitter, right? I am on Twitter um, at Big League Chew, like the gum. There's like that's where I am. I'm a big baseball fan. My son plays baseball. I love baseball, so that was an easy one. You know, I was blessed to have a, a name that was easy to do. Um, at Big League Chew on Twitter, uh, on Facebook, just by name Marissa Chew, um, and then on Instagram as well. Thanks, thanks for your time, Coach. Uh, Thanks for all you do. And uh, I look forward to continuing to see all the things I get out of Coaches Collab and, you know, all the things that you provide the track and field community. So thanks a yeah. lot for everything. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or got something out of it, please leave a rating and a review. Lastly, follow me on Twitter at Coach McGackie. That's M-C-G-H-G-H-Y. And stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks.